The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! Brandon Junior Hockey fans, you've waited two decades for this. In the league's 50th anniversary, your Wheat Kings are the champions. And welcome to episode 28 of the Weekly Harvest. My name is Chris Falco, Director of Game Day Operations with the Brandon Wheat Kings, also announcer at Today's Best Music, 94.7 Star FM, and Q Country, who is the official home of the Weekly Harvest. Remember, you can catch every previous episode at uh, qcountryfm.ca. Uh, also, make sure to uh, just uh, catch them live, 91.5. Alexa, Google, always streaming on there. Crow, voice of the Brandon Wheat Kings, joining us as always. Crow, how are you today? Well, it's uh, it's been a it's been a wild weekend. Uh, went up camping uh, with the family up at Shoal Lake, and it kind of rained every twenty minutes, and then it was sunny for twenty minutes. So, tried some fishing, and I hate to admit it, I still have only caught one fish all year. And I've tried off the dock, I've tried off the shore, I've tried in the boat. Uh, I am not winning any fishing competitions anytime soon. But it was a good weekend, and I got home just in time to mow the lawn and, and jump in here with you guys. So. Uh, it's been a it's been a good summer weekend of kind of everything that you, you hope to get accomplished uh, in a weekend. So uh, excited to to talk some hockey here tonight, though. Yeah, for sure, and very excited for our guest, uh, somebody who a lot of the Wheat King fans know, but not just that, of course, longtime NHL career, uh, played Team Canada, I believe, seven different times. We've got Wade Redden, and for those who are watching live on the video stream, you are going to see that Wade has been here the whole time. Wade, how are you? <laughs> Chris, good. Good to join you guys, and always a pleasure talking to some old Wheat City folks, and uh, it's getting on 25 years since I was there, but man, still follow the Wheat Kings, and uh, glad to be on here with you guys. Yeah, it seems like, well, this will put a, a number on it that might make you feel a little goofy. Uh, your <laughs> rookie season... Uh, I was two years old. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. So, uh, and, you know, that it seems like so long ago, uh, but I imagine that, you know, when you think back at the success you had and kind of the instant success you had with not only individually but as a team, uh, you know, that had to be, you know, arguably a, the, the most fun, probably purest form of hockey as a teenager that you had over the course of your whole career. Oh, God, I loved it in Brandon, man. Like, I, yeah, fond memories right from day one, really. The whole, you know, me, the guys that I met, the guys I played with, you know, Kelly is the GM, Bobby Lowe's and Mark Johnson. It's funny when you think back and look back at kids nowadays that are that age and realize how young they were and how young we were. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, going to Brandon, young, 16 years old and pretty impressionable. is uh, pretty lucky to go to an organization like that and and kind of learn learn the ropes and, and, uh, you know, I, it's funny, actually. So Brad McCrimmon was just kind of at the tail end of his career, and we'd always come and work the hockey schools during my time. So we'd see him in the summer, and he'd always say to us how special those junior days are and to enjoy him. We thought he was crazy the way, you know, he'd played 20 years in the NHL at that point. But looking back now, it's, he was bang on. And um, so, yeah, lucky, lucky to have, fortunate to have those three years in Brandon for myself. We were we were talking before about the draft, and 
of course, things are a lot different now. But back then, when did you find out that you were uh, selected by the Brandon Wee Kings to come to Brandon? And what was your knowledge of the team at that point? Well, pretty minimal knowledge. I mean, we didn't. I didn't really follow the WHL at all, to be honest. We I was just north of Lloyd Minster is where I grew up, and there's a junior A team there that we'd follow and watch all the time, but never had never been to a WHL game or anything like that. My dad, Kelly, actually coached the junior team in Lloyd maybe three years previous before he came to Brandon and kind of took the organization organization over. So my dad knew him. Um, from those days, my dad played hockey and we kind of knew people in the loop there. But uh, I remember we were actually in Bantam Provincials. So my team, we were down in Martinsville, Saskatchewan, just a little town just outside of Saskatoon. So we were playing them about home and home series. And it was a Tuesday and then the draft was on a Wednesday and then we we're home again Thursday. But, uh, you know, I didn't really have much knowledge of the draft either at that time. I just remember... There were some scouts with the teal jackets on Tacoma Rockets were picking fourth. So I remember seeing those jackets, talking to my dad and stuff, because my dad coached me. And uh, But yeah, then sure enough, the next day, get the call and uh, going to Brandon. So you know what? I, I, I was excited. And I think the nine-hour drive was the only concern my parents had about <laughs> it, because it was quite a ways from home. But um, as we say, it's all history, and it, it was a great spot for me. Well, I look at it, you know, I love the draft, both the Bantam draft and the NHL draft. I, I like going back to, you know, my draft year where, you know, I wasn't selected but had buddies that were and, you know, drafted ahead of guys that played 10 years pro and, you know, they never got a sniff. And just the, the difference in, you know, the way teams approach it now with the scouting and everything compared to back then. But, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there were 73 players taken in your Bantam draft year. Okay. okay, so because there wasn't, there was only sixteen teams in the league at the time, um, or whatever the case may yeah. be at the time. So, of the seventy-three players selected, only eight guys of that total group played at least one game in the NHL, uh, okay. and the first three wow. picks did. So, Mike McBain went first overall uh, to Red Deer, and he ended up playing just sixty-four games in the NHL. Of course, you came second over a thousand games. And then Terry Ryan, the legendary Terry Ryan, was taken uh, by Tri-City. He played eight NHL games. So the first three picks all had decent careers. The next best career other than you, uh, games-wise, was Kyle McLaren. So it's amazing to think that, you know, all those players came through and, and some of them had decent careers in the Western Hockey League and some guys went on to pro. But do you think, you know, now in your kind of scouting and older age, do you think it's easier to scout players now than it would have been back in 1992? <laughs> Man, that's interesting, those numbers there. I'd never even thought to look that up, but I'm glad you told me, though. That's interesting. I know a lot, um, just thinking of all the guys that ended up being my age from the Western League that had really good careers in the NHL or pro hockey that never got drafted in Bantam. Exactly. That's, that's kind of crazy, but um, it's a tough job to see a 14-year-old and project what he's going to be at 16, let alone 18 or 20. Um Geez, I got to think it'd be easier nowadays, though. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess they've learned a lot. I mean, a lot of it, too. Yeah, you don't know a kid at 14, what they're going to develop. But you can kind of get a read on a kid's character. I think that that's a big part of it. And um, I don't know if they put more weight into that or not. I know I know my time on that side of the, the business with Nashville. I spent three years doing player development. And 
And that, that kind of tells you a lot, just how kids react to different situations. So when you're scouting, I'm sure they <clears throat> try to get as much intel as they can on these kids and, um, you know, how they work, how they react, how they handle situations. So, um, you know, the character is a big part of it, I think. When you were, uh, when you were back here, let's go talk about the classic bus stories, because when people talk about playing in the dub, that is just one of those rites of passage because it's the longest rides in the entire uh, country of junior hockey, especially when you're smack dab in the middle. So what, what, what are some things that you remember from back in the day from having to do some of those uh, cross country treks? Oh, there's so many funny stories. And actually, one of my teammates who was a local guy, Scotty Leluc, however we called him, I think that was his dad's name, but he would, he'd had a pen and paper with him the whole, all year long. And then he wrote down all the funny things that happened in the season and handed out the quote book to everyone. (laughs) And I still have two or three of them upstairs for my years. And man, it's funny to look back at those, but there, there's a lot just, you know, guys chirping each other. Whenever we'd win a game, we'd get on the bus and Losey, we'd, we came, we saw, we kicked there, blah, 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 whatever. They still do know, it, just Still they doing still it? Do it? That's awesome to hear. <laughs> <laughs> but this, like that kind of stuff. And, um, well, I just heard Chris Dingman speaking on a, a buddy of mine was doing a podcast and got Chris on there and just the bus we had back in those days too was just the old I think it was the same age as I was like a 1977 bus welded up <laughs> um, bunks on the back and guys were just pigs so they're throwing garbage and wrappers and so there's mice on the bus and guys trying to sleep on the floor and mice running by you and just just there's <laughs> kind of a yeah the new buses now I think are 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 much more uh, sanitary that's for sure but uh no there's lots of good memories cold winter nights and going up to mogi our bus driver was icing up and had to go like 20 kilometers an hour because he's only looking out a patch about that big and is so lots of crazy stuff happens it's, it's uh, that's where all the good stories come from though Certainly, it's one of those places where I don't, you know, you may complain about it as a team. I know I complain about it as a radio guy getting on the bus and, and driving through the night home from PA. But, you know, looking back on it now, you know, I've been, this will be my fifth season. You know, some of the funniest things happen on the bus and some of the best bonding moments. And, you know, good, even good heart to heart conversations happen at mm-hmm. two in the morning when you're cruising down a dark highway. And I think, you know, that's one thing the players don't realize until they've moved on and, and maybe have gone back to a real life job or they've, gone to play pro where they're flying around and that sort of thing is there is that kind of something that you know you realized early on in your career or maybe later in your career you know how quickly everything happened and and how you had to try and you know kind of compartmentalize it and and try and remember everything because it was only going to happen for so long yeah I mean when you're in it it's hard to enjoy it for I mean I look back in those days now and I just you know wish you could be back there and doing it again but um, you know, it goes so fast, like you said, and you're, you're trying to make the most of it. You're trying, obviously the, uh, you know, even starting right at junior, you consider it kind of pro mentality. Like you're preparing every day. It's, you know, wins and losses are so important. Obviously the development of the kids is, is number one, but you're trying to win. There's a lot of, you know, concentration and emphasis on, on being successful. So, um, 
yeah, you get caught up in that a bit and maybe don't, you know, it goes by so fast and maybe after a loss, like we'd get on the bus and you're not allowed to talk for two hours and like, (laughs) (laughs) but that's all part of it too. And you got to, you know, you learn the business of it and what it's all about too. And and that was a big part of, of my development was, was being that way and, and learning that way. So, um, yeah, it goes fast. And now, to, now that I've been done for a number of years and my time in Brandon, my time in Ottawa and, and bouncing around after that, it's, you sure appreciate uh, what you had. I couldn't believe it. I was, you know, I was doing a little bit of research before. I couldn't believe that you've been retired as long as you have. Now, I grew up in Nipawa, Manitoba, home of Shane Knighty, who was a teammate of yours for the longest time. And every one of the kids my age, when he became an Ottawa senator, we were all Sens fans because it was the closest thing we had to a connection, right? I mean, we all mm-hmm. thought, hey, he played minor hockey here. We can all play too. His dad still sharpens skates at the rink. Um, you know, I had, uh, I, I actually have a Wade Redden jersey somewhere. I tried to find it, but I couldn't. Oh, and you wow. probably won't remember this, but Shane Knighty used to have a charity golf tournament in Nepal every year. And you came uh-huh. one year uh, along with Ab McDonald, a Winnipeg Jet legend, Shane Knighty, and there was a couple of other guys. I was maybe... I don't know, I would have been maybe nine or ten years old, uh, and I was a huge Ottawa fan, and I knew what time you guys were teeing off because I had called the clubhouse and asked. And I waited at the first tee with my jersey and my dad because I was too nervous to go by myself and waited for you to pull up on the golf cart, and I think I called you Mr. Redden and asked for a signature, and you signed it, and I watched you tee off, and you took off down the first fairway, and to me, that was the highlight of my fandom at that moment, and I still have that jersey to this day. So it's it's kind of weird how it's all well, come full circle. That's funny. Like, I definitely remember going to Nipawa. Now that you say that, you had your jersey on, and yeah, man, I, I oh, think yeah. I do remember that. I, met, well, <laughs> I, so Shane I remember and I, calling. Yeah, I called the clubhouse. I said, I know you probably can't stay, but do you know what time these guys are golfing? And I think it was some young girl. She's like, I don't know. They're teeing off at like, I don't know, 11 or one o'clock yeah. or whatever it was. And I probably sat in the parking lot for an hour just waiting for you guys to start. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, I always loved that. I used to have my own golf tournament too. And then to come and my buddies would come to mine. So then I go to Shane's too. And, um, oh, I mean, actually, do you know what? It's funny because so Shane, Nides and I had the same uh, financial guy who's out of Winnipeg. So we were there and I think one of the ladies from the office got a hole in one in that tournament. Really? She was, she was the big winner that day, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> I forget what the prize was, but no, it's funny. Yeah. Oh, I love going, uh, hearing those stories because, you know, going back to those little towns in Nipawa or, you know, what else? Carberry, all those little towns. I remember going to Marty Murray in Lyleton, Pearson. He had a golf tournament there and I went down and hung out with him. So it's, uh, it's a good hockey area. It's good to, good to get back there. Who are some of like the big rivals that even when you were done, you kind of found it hard to ever think about cheering for them? Like other WHL teams that you still just just despise because you're a weak king? Uh, well, I guess and that, Moose Jaw was always Moose Jaw and Prince Albert. We had some battles with Prince Albert against that very Shane Knighty, I guess, actually, <laughs> who I didn't know at that time, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It seemed like we'd always face them, Moose Jaw. You play those teams so many times. I remember actually the one night when I was 16 was against Regina. It was a playoff game, and there was a huge brawl after the game, and every t- both teams were on the ice, and Losey was out there directing traffic and sending 
Joel Karenko, who's a young guy on the team, and he fought like four times, and they're just like coaches are sending out matchup <laughs> one at a time, and <laughs> and the fans were coming at us. And actually, Marty Murray's dad that night was with my mom. They were both watching the game, and I don't know, it was just hell, all hell broke loose basically. And I think Marty's dad got pinned down and was all scratched up, and I think my mom stayed clear of it all. I think people were decent enough not to go after, a, you know. Some, my mom or a lady or whatever, but I think I've anyways. actually heard a version of this story before from Matt McNish, uh, who who oh, worked with the franchise yeah, for yeah, yeah yeah he he yeah. worked with us for 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 uh, a number of years and just until this past season, but yeah I, me- I remember him telling the story about the massive brawl in Regina <laughs> and with Barney. Then we show up we show up for the next game, so we, that's game three we lose that game and it's a best of five so we're up two one and then next game. They have the whole place just like just totally buttoned down and security and huge like plywood walls and no one's getting anywhere like Fort Knox basically. But I think their goalie broke their hand in that one of the fights against Craig Hordell was our backup goalie. So we pounced on the backup and I think we won eight three and moved on that year. But that was my first year in Brandon. So was that one of those nights where, you know, by the time you, you get home, is, is your mom calling your billets and wanting to tell you to stay out of that? Or was she covering her eyes in the crowd? Or, or how, how did that conversation go with your parents? Oh, I can't even remember, actually. She, well, it's funny, though, because I mentioned my dad played hockey and he was, played pro in the 70s and he was well known. That was kind of his role to, he was fighting all the time and, and that, I obviously, hockey I think he was more uh, prevalent back in those days, but he was one of the guys doing all that. So mom watched him do that all those years. So I think anything I was going to do would be considered pretty tame <laughs> from the seventies back in the whatever semi pros or whatever. But uh, and well, I mean, according, no, according to even Al Gibbs, I mean, you were always a gentleman in the box, and you would never do much. You would do much chirping. Oh. You know, Al Gibbs is still working the penalty box to this day. Oh, wow. So I mean, he's got a good <laughs> he's got a good history, I guess, of of oh, of, of, of kind of judging that. Who back on those teams do you do you remember being some of the best chirpers, some of the most vocal guys that 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 were kind of in, instigating sort of all that? Uh, yeah. Well, my first year was uh, I remember Mike Manilock was a twenty year old and he was uh, he was very quick and always chirping the other team. He was never usually the first one in there to. He was usually at the back of the pack. I think Dinger and Kluche were the big boys, so I think. But Kluch, or, uh, Manny, Chris Johnson, Mark's son, just had an edge to him too. And he was, he was a tough little, little bugger. Um, and I guess that was my first year. And then uh, going forward from there, who would we have had? Like, well, Dinger was, he was just a big man and against boys out there and a lot of, a lot of nights just could kind of do what he wanted and wasn't overly aggressive, but, but certainly uh, pushed his way around. Um, oh geez, who the heck else? Does the name oh, Scott Halady come to mind at all? Oh, Scott Halady, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Scooter, really, Woody? <laughs> well, yeah, he was a high energy guy. Like he, he was still always, is, uh, still is. I know. <laughs> I've run into him a few times too, but yeah, he was always bouncing around, and um, I think he, that was my first year too that he was there, but. Some of the funny guys that come through, like I still keep in touch with Danny Tetro. He was a 16-year-old my last year, but he was a feisty Frenchman, just full of aggression and, and 
loved to fight and wasn't scared and just a fiery personality. So he was a lot of fun to play with. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, well, we had a great team and close knit team, character guys. And Bobby Brown, he was always never one to shy away from, from a tussle or a, a verbal jab. He was, he could talk that guy. So. <laughs> well, Scooter, uh, <laughs> you can take the you can take the you know the player out of the game, but I don't think you take the game out of the player. I, I know that uh, where my perch is, where of course Luber would have sat up and called your games, uh, looking down at the bench with Scooter doing his equipment manager duties. If there's a scrum in front of the bench, often you have to see you see Scooter and he's got the towel over his mouth, trying not to jump in and start chirping because <laughs> he's like a forty year old man and they're teenagers and he can't. But you know he wants to. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it gets the best of them at, at certain points. It is a high uh, emotional game, and <laughs> he must be. What's his background? He seems like a European kind of fiery Italian or something. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. I, I know he he tweeted it out. He was going to be listening tonight, so we'll see if he texts oh, okay, in. Uh, Chris mentioned Al Gibb. Al sent me a text today. Of course, he he said he loved working uh, the penalty box back when you played. He said. Uh, he said one thing which I thought was quite funny. Now, this is the type of story we love on the podcast. Now, see if you can remember this. This is the text from Al. He said, when Wade first signed in Ottawa, he asked Neil Moffat, who he worked with at Bar 5, which I'm not sure what is, <laughs> if it was smart if he should invest in cattle. Now, do you remember what Neil said? Is this true? Oh, I probably would have asked him. <laughs> Neil. <laughs> That's hilarious. Neil Did you Moffitt. invest in cattle? Well, I guess I did in a way. My I grew up on a cattle farm, and my dad's still farming today, and and uh, so I'm a part of that. And uh, actually, I don't think the cattle business was that great back then, but it's done good the last ten years or whatever. So, um, but that's a funny story because that's Neil Moffat. He was my last professor. Yeah. So, <laughs> me and Darren Van Owen, I was a a credit away from graduating because I kind of left. We went to the Memorial Cup in 96, no, 95. So in 95, we went to the Memorial Cup. And after that, I was my draft year. So I, you know, with school and stuff, I, I wanted to go home and I kind of finished some of the courses in my high school back home. And then a few of them, I just, they went by the wayside kind of because I was busy <laughs> and was, you know, doing the draft stuff and whatever. So the next year I had to come back and do a, get one last credit. And that was one thing Kelly McCrimmon always said to me was, you know, he, he, he kind of figured that I had a chance to go and play pro and, you know, if a high school diploma probably wouldn't make a difference or whatever, but he said, do that for your mom, go and get it for your mom. So that was a focus of mine. Ended up getting it by doing work experience. My last credit, I went and worked at bar five, which is a big Semitol ranch just out towards Carberry. So me and Darren Van Owen went out there and we'd, Probably two, maybe, depending on the schedule, but we'd try to get out there and had to put a certain amount of hours in. And we went and they have a huge, it's a purebred Semitol, used to be purebred Semitol ranch. And they had hundreds of bulls and they had a bunch of cattle. So we'd go and feed the animals and then uh, work with Neil Moffat, who was a, who was a great guy. And we, uh, I kept in touch with him and over the years, whenever I go back there, but uh, yeah, he was my last professor. And then... I think we were on the golf course at uh, what's the golf course on the east side of town? 
I think that was our graduation was well, the wheat uh, cities down in the east kind of on 26th street that might be the yeah he took us golfing with a case of labat blue that was our graduation party so <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah no tell al that that story is uh that's bang on <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> you don't uh, get many or i was gonna say you look at kids now they only could dream of the the junior career you had with two world juniors two memorial cups and the playoff victories and playoff experience you had now that you're a little older do you realize that what you were able to accomplish with that team and individually is something that not many players will ever even have a chance to think about uh it's pretty special and yeah i do consider myself you know fortunate I kind of looked the other way. We didn't win the Memorial Cup either, so could have, uh, it would have made it a lot better. But no, I, uh, yeah, those years in Branham were pretty special. And um, the teams we had, the guys we had, you know, and you, you know, you lose touch and you don't see them much anymore. But whenever I see those guys, it's, it's always, uh, you know, you kind of pick up where you left off. You have such a tight bond. And those years were, like I mentioned earlier, just how, you know, young, you're like a piece of clay almost. You're just molding, and that was a big part of the coaching and, and organization there was kind of helping us develop. And uh, so that was, it was special times for us, for us all. Some of the more skilled guys on the team, who are some names that instantly come to mind that, that you just knew that these guys were just special at that, at, at that age? Well, Marty Murray, I played with him the first two years. He was probably the best player in Canada. And uh, my dad even says that he always says, even to this day, how he's the best junior player he ever he ever watched. Um, so he was really special, and he is a big influence on me too. And I've kept in touch with him over the years too. Uh, and a uh, great guy, and similar background, both farm small town farm kids. And um, but he was a big influence. He was a couple years older than me, so kind of took me under his wing when I was 16 and helped me a lot. Um, Bobby Brown, he was a MVP of the playoffs that year when we won in '96. Uh, he was, you know, hardworking guy, probably more than anything, and feisty and tough, but could score and and do it all out there. He had a great junior career. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the best defensemen in the league, and and uh, was my partner in '16. We played together at, since '16-year-old. It was Justin Kurtz. And, uh, you know, so I think a big part of our team was the defense with Justin, myself, and then Sven Butenshan, who we all came in the league together. We were, Sven was a year older than Justin and I, but we, we were 16 and 17. And uh, it seemed like a lot of nights, we were the ones that stayed healthy that year. We were playing a lot of games with like 4D and it's two 16-year-olds and a 17-year-old rookie with braces, <laughs> which was Sven. <laughs> he had big big silver braces in his mouth and would get in fights and his mouth would be all cut up and stuff. (laughs) uh, You know, we were, you know, yeah, just we're kind of thrown into the fire and we, we excelled and we did well and we had uh, a lot of success. And then, yeah, a few years later, we ended up winning the league. So when you look at your rookie season in the NHL and you go and make the team out of camp, you know, you finish that year, eighth in team scoring as a rookie uh, and there's some you know pretty big names on there and Daniel Offertson, Alexi Ashen and of course the uh, infamous Alexander Dagg who is another draft story but a story for another day what do you remember from your first 
uh, NHL camp and going into Ottawa and then making the team. What are some of the things that you remember from, from that time? Oh, man, I was so green behind the ears as young. I don't know, kids nowadays, I don't know if they're just with technology. I don't know, I was, I was nervous for sure and confident in my ability and to be able to play, but you know, I was pretty intimidated and wouldn't ever go in the training room hardly. I remember like some of the some of the veterans and stuff, they were you know, all great guys and stuff. But yeah, just quiet and just try to go about my business and learning how to play and living on your own for the first time. But again, I was, you know, came in as a, as a high prospect. So I was given some opportunity to play and put in positions to succeed. So, uh, you know, again, as fortunate, that was a team that was kind of just turning the corner. They had just gone through the first four years of expansion and then, Pierre Gauthier took the team over. Jacques Martin came in. And uh, I think my first year, there was actually 13 new players on that team. And um, so kind of a new direction. And Sean McEachern, Jason York, Sean Van Allen, kind of good veteran leadership guys. And then he had a nucleus of young guys like myself. And, well, Alfredson wasn't very old. And, and then uh, over the years, Phillips, Bonk. Uh, Bonk was there before me, I guess. But... Um, you know, really a good spot for me to come in and, and develop and get an opportunity. And yeah, that was an awesome first year. We made the playoffs, just kind of squeaked in in the last game of the year. We won a one nothing game against Buffalo. And uh, so the city was on fire. First time ever making the playoffs. And it was, uh, you know, start of something pretty special there. You got any good Alexi Yashin stories? <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't... He was kind of a quiet guy. He stayed to himself for the most part. He'd frustrate you at times because he was so talented, so big and strong, but you know, never really had a fire under him. And when he did get going, it was, you know, was, he would carry our team, but uh, he never liked taking face offs because he always liked this tape perfectly white and without a mark on it. So, some, especially in neutral zone face offs, he just put a stick down and get it away before it get all colored up and stuff, but, <laughs> which just baffles your mind when you, maybe that wasn't the case. That's looked what, what it looked like to me, but, <laughs> um, but no, well, those first couple of years, like I said, we had some set, some success and, and, uh, you know, he scored the next year. We, we won our first playoff series against Jersey. He scored a lot of big goals. Alfredson really emerged as probably our leader, and uh and was unreal in those those playoff he always came to play but uh uh yeah though same thing like i mentioned before with the teammates i had in brandon the guys in ottawa I built a tight bond with two with growing up together chris phillips and alfie and chris neal chris uh mike fisher guys like that chris kelly who's still a good buddy and really a, a great group that we had a lot of success with as well I always loved being a Chris and also a fan of the Sens, how many Chris's there were throughout. Um, don't have a Wade Wren jersey, unlike Crow. I do have a number five Falco. I got a signed Alfie, and I went to Vancouver to go and see the, the Heritage Classic game a couple of, uh, couple of years oh, ago yeah, there. Oh, yeah, I was at that too. Um, yeah, yeah was, that was awesome, especially because the Sens came out on top, and I went out there with a buddy who's a Vancouver fan, so I got to rub it in his face <laughs> there too. But uh, one of my favorites uh, that you have women talked about yet is I want to know your experience playing with Sedano Chara because 
when Char was a Sen, man, I wish that he could have stuck around as well <laughs> because yeah. I just you guys were both just too good. That was the problem. Yeah, and and I remember that at the time and being like you know again from Manitoba from Russell the Wee King like I knew like you were like the local guy. So I was like, okay, well, but oh, if we could have kept both you guys, I think that, that team just would have been unbelievable. But what what well, what, what are some of your uh, memories about kidding. that? Yeah, man, that guy's still going to this day. He was, uh, he was unreal. He was really special. And actually, he came to Ottawa, you know, not really that way. I mean, he came, whatever, he's drafted to the Islanders and, you know, had a few years there where, you know, certainly. But when, when he got to Ottawa and, and what he, how he performed, like how he was dedicated to working on his game, on his conditioning, he he raised everyone's level up, and just his stature and his size, and um, I think he's obviously take took it to another level once he got to Boston. Maybe just with maturity and and uh, and whatever, he was so serious in in Ottawa because he he'd worked so hard and and wanted it so bad that uh, I almost think it was to a detriment. He'd be in working out the day after we lost out of playoffs. And uh, so I think he's really found a balance. Obviously, he's found a balance and to stay at a high level. And I know he's got a family now and enjoys, you know, doing all things in life. And But he was an intense dude. And he was uh, – I learned a lot from him. And, and he was a great teammate. To go back to Boston and finish my career, um, you know, and see what they have going on there, a big part because of him and his leadership, it's uh, pretty, pretty awesome. And, yeah, looking back with – with him and I both coming up for contract that year, um, it was too bad. I mean, I, yeah, we, we kind of went different paths from there, but he was, uh, you know, you know, a big part of our team and we had some success after he left, but, uh, it would have been nice to keep that whole group together. It still seems to be a sore spot with Ottawa Senators fans yeah. that it came to that fact. I mean, you look at it now, and I, I know that contracts and everything are, are you know, so crazy now and everything that goes along with trying to figure out how to fit guys into the cap. But, you know, it just it's one of those things where Ottawa fans just think, look, look at all of the talent that they had, and you just couldn't get over the hump. As a fan growing up, I hated the playoffs because I would just – I just had a bad feeling because it was always Toronto that always ended up. Li- how how bad do you hate the Toronto Maple Leafs now? <laughs> Wait. Well, yeah, I think it's four series, and it's it was. Uh, I think I was injured for the one series, but yeah, three other times, and yeah, four total that we had some good teams. Some you know we went seven games. I think twice couldn't just couldn't win that seventh. We think the other two times. Well, did we? Got swept once, I guess. But yeah, the th- problem with our team back in those days, like late '90s, we had really good regular seasons, and then, <clears throat> and then, kind of petered out at the end, and we just didn't kind of have that grit and toughness. Where when things really changed was when we got Chris Neal and Mike Fisher, both young guys, basically rookies coming in, but just have that grind and grit to them, and. And that really turned the corner for our team. I think in that time of year, those are the guys you really lean on. And and not that they led the way, but there's just an element there that makes everyone play that way a little bit. And, um, and yeah, obviously with Chara too and Chris Phillips, those guys were big shutdown guys. And and uh, we had, you know, 
few good runs, a few where we come up short, but uh, it was, uh, yeah, some some lot of a lot of good things we got done there. Let's talk. Is the over- oh, oh so I was gonna say, let's talk about. I think you're gonna ask the same thing. Let's talk about the biggest goal in Ottawa Senators history. Yep, that's where I was going. What do you remember of the goal against Buffalo? Because as soon as you talked about earlier too, I'm like, I love how these big goals now at least come against Buffalo, a team that that always <laughs> love just to kind of see lose for whatever reason. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but what was your recollection of of that goal, the OT goal to send you guys to the Stanley Cup Finals? Yeah, well, I I've seen it a lot of times on on highlights and stuff. I think. From what I remember in the moment, I think I was going for a line change, but yeah, that, and then just seeing it go in and going down and joining the huddle, it was, uh, you know, pretty big, obviously a huge accomplishment for all of us that have been there and kind of had those defeats against Toronto and, and some of those tough playoff seasons where we come up short and just things didn't go our way at all. So, you know, to, excuse me, to get to the, to win the East Conference and get to the final, that was a, that was a big moment for us to, to get over that hump. And, um, you know, I think looking back, it's, uh, we, didn't, we didn't put our best foot forward in the, come the final series. We, we ran into probably a better team, but, you know, some veteran guys, and they just kind of stifled us. But, and a hot um, goalie, that, too. And the goalie was good. J.S. Jaguar. I remember. J.S. Jaguar oh. was, uh, sorry, a quick no, story go, yeah. about J.S. Jaguar who's my age also, and we played on the under-8 team select, or uh, Team Canada team in Mexico City, actually. But in those days, you wouldn't really have the camp. we just kind of meet and then kind of depart. And that we had to call. We didn't know each other. No one knew each other. So I had to call him and kind of introduce myself. And he didn't speak a, work, uh, a lick of English. So <laughs> talking to his girlfriend for about 10 minutes on the phone translating, but... JS, I've always had a tight bond with him. And yeah, sure enough, he beat us in the final. I mean, that was a very stacked Anaheim Duck team. And I I remember what I was going to say was, I've never done this before and I haven't done this since, but I was listening to 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 a talk radio show in Winnipeg where I was living at the time. And they were asking about who you're going to cheer for in the finals. And it was overwhelming. It was the people were cheering for Anaheim. And it was all because of Timu and because of Randy Carlisle. Um, yeah. And they were yeah. all at. Anyway, I, I called in and <laughs> I've never done this before. I was irate. I was like, how could you say that? It has to be Ottawa. They're the Canadian team. <laughs> I started going through the roster. I'm like, there's more Canadian players. I, I, was, I was riled right up. So, yeah, when that one yeah, went the way funny. it did, I was like, ah, that's too bad. <laughs> but, but looking back, I mean, there's a lot of Hall of Famers that, that were, of course, on that team. And uh, well, that was just played, an incredible it's time. It's funny getting into the technical side of hockey, but. I think a lot of teams do it now. The one-three-one. I don't know if we'd ever seen that before, but they'd have one guy force and us three guys line on the red line, and then Scott Niedermeyer would just be hanging back. So we'd kind of try to get through the maze. We'd dump the puck, and then all of a sudden Niedermeyer would pick it up, and he'd have fifty feet to work with and just kind of pick us apart. I don't know. We had a trouble getting through the neutral zone, and we never really got anything generated in a, in a lot of that series. So. They did a good job against us. I got to ask, he was, I was a goalie, and of course, I always felt that goaltending was maybe a bit of a, a weak spot in the organizational depth of the Ottawa Center. Maybe. Because I was a, <laughs> hey, 
I remember like how many goalies, Martin, how many goalies across our fandom have there been that have played net for the Ottawa Senators? Holy! But do you have any good Dominic Hasek stories? Like was, he seems like a goofy fella. What was he like in the locker room? Oh, he was actually hilarious. Uh, and yeah, just the one season with us. What a great act! You know, we were so excited when he came on board. He ended up getting injured, and we didn't even ha- kind of have him down the stretch, unfortunately. But. Um, yeah, he was a he was a different guy. Like he would, uh, he was funny, quirky, do do his own thing. So amazing in practice, like just watching him perform. And you know, guy that won seven Vezins in a row, and you you see the way he competes and works in practice, and just the passion he had for the game was was the thing that stands out for me. He always liked going in the hot tub after games and having a few Coors Lights, and <laughs> was a pretty chill guy. Like nothing rattled him. He was just so relaxed and. Um, and just the way he played was so unorthodox. So didn't really, you know, have a lot of time with him, but, you know, it was still pretty cool to, to have him come there. He'd always, yeah, yeah, he was, uh, you know, Hall of Fame guy, one of the best ever. I, some other, we, we talked about you putting on the Team Canada jersey at the World Juniors, but not the only time that you, you have played for Team Canada. I know there was also a World Cup of Hockey in there. Um, you played for the, for the World Championships as well? Yeah, went to three World Championships and then, yeah, the Olympics in 06. Of course. So, yeah. Well, we got we to gotta talk about that roster because... That's I mean, where we're going to go in next. The grand, in the grand scheme of Olympic, that was kind of a, a just an odd year where you had a great roster but didn't get the results. Uh, what do you remember from, uh, was it, how do you pronounce it? Was it Turin or Torino? I never really understood. I don't know. There's an English and Italian version. I think <laughs> Torino is the English version. Or, I don't know. Anyways, Torino, Turin. Well, yeah, it wasn't a great experience. I mean, I shouldn't say it wasn't a great experience. It was unreal to go to the Olympics and and just see all that and be a part of it. I, when I look at footage, I didn't go to Vancouver or you know some of these other cities. Tur- Turin was like an industrial town. I, have, I felt like there was no excitement around the city about the Olympics. Like the fact that you know we lost in the quarterfinals and we had to kind of stick around because our flight was you know kind of after the tournament type of thing. And so we were spending some time in the city, but there was no rec- like acknowledgement almost of the the Olympics. So that was kind of disappointing that, you know, it didn't have the same hype that, you know, when you see Vancouver to the downtown and how people embraced it and, and were part of it. Um, there was two rinks at that tournament. They built a new one and then there was an older rink. And for somehow, some way, we, all three games in the old rink, we did that roster, we didn't score one goal. Like it was just Joe Sackick, I think he, I think he fractured his orbital bone in that tournament so he had a he was playing he wasn't 100 percent. he was kind of our well he was our captain and our and there was a few other yeah i don't know just couldn't get on a roll it was you know no one got hot i think they were probably trying to work with different say power play units and they'd have all kinds of pressure success no one would score and then maybe they'd switch it up so we could never really get on a roll and yeah the team never really took off unfortunately so uh, tough loss. I think we ended up losing two nothing. I think to Russia in the quarters, and uh, this wasn't our year. I'd like to actually also ask, skipped ahead there, but go back two years because when the lockout, everybody kind of knew the lockout was going to be coming up, and the World Cup of Hockey was going to be like sort of the last hurrah that we're going to get to see for a while. 
What was that like at that time playing the, you know, knowing that it was going to be kind of going into a lockout year for the first yeah. time in, I think at that time, was it ever? I mean, for the first time well, in a long time. 10 years, because 95, I think, was they missed half the season. Right, right. Um, or 94, 95. But yeah, I mean, I certainly, I don't doubt everyone, anyone expected to miss a whole year at that point. But uh, yes, yeah, that was definitely looming the, the big lockout and the CBA and stuff. You know, to play in that tournament was was on you know pretty special. Sackick was on the team. I think him and Lemieux. They just had a game on recently, and I was watching it. I got injured in the second game of that tournament, so I ended up missing the last. Well, I missed basically all of it. So I was just hanging around, hoping my shoulder would heal up and get a chance to get back in. Never happened. I ended up under the side story with the insurance program that was going on i had a separated shoulder so for two months i ended up getting i was one of the guys i was getting paid still so the locket was going on but i didn't, wasn't cleared i didn't have a clear bill of health till like mid-november so i was uh, helping the trainers there, kind of given to uh make work projects so i was going to the rink and painting stuff and <laughs> and rehabbing at the same time but um but yeah, Mario Lemieux is on the team, and to be around him, that was probably the one of the biggest highlights. The the presence he had, and uh, you know, just a big calm, calming influence on everyone. And just uh, you know, when he turned it on, you know, he always seemed like you watch him and he lumbers around a bit, like he's such a big guy. But then you see his dynamic ability and the way he can play and just handle it and the skill. It's yeah. It was so impressive. Obviously, you know, the way your career ended probably was, you know, certainly not kind of the, the way that anybody hopes with, you know, the, the contract in New York and then, you know, the brief time in, in Boston and, and St. Louis. But, you know, I remember when you went to New York, you know, I, I've obviously been a fan for a long time and I thought, okay, this is a great chance. The media was really hard on, on you specifically in New York. Was that tough? mentally like I know that playing in Ottawa it's a Canadian city and you got the pressure but you know when when the media is all over you it's hard to get out of a, a funk which I think at one oh. point you were quoted as saying you know what I'm thinking too much was that the maybe a, a underlying issue with why you couldn't kind of reconnect with the way you had been before yeah yeah that was uh it's a different place New York for sure and I don't think I probably appreciated that I certainly do now you know the way you know, the media is, the way the fans are, um, you know, coming from Ottawa, a small market, and then jumping into New York on a big contract and kind of a lot of notoriety. And and I think, you know, mentally and physically at that time too, I was kind of, you know, coming off a, a few years where I wasn't the healthiest. I just lost my mom a few, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on with me that when I look back now, I wasn't wasn't as prepared as I probably should have been or, could have handled things a little bit differently. So when I got to New York and things started going south, it was it wasn't a pleasant experience. Like the they have the one beat writer that writes about guys, and then whoever he writes about, that's who the fans boo. So is that who Torch kinda, yells at all the time when he was the coach? Is that yes, Marcy? it is. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, yeah, Torch was, yeah, that was kind of bittersweet with him too. But um, but yeah, it was uh, it was tough for sure. Like. I wanted to succeed. I was, you know, trying my hardest. It just wasn't coming for me. I wasn't, you know, like I said, as you know, just wasn't feeling myself for a lot of different reasons. So, 
Um, when I, you know, torts was actually a big, I, I actually really enjoyed torts as much as he probably recognized where my game was at. So that kind of was indicative of, of how much I was used and, you know, their plans for me and then and obviously being going down to Hartford and stuff, but I kind of learned a lot through it and battled through it. And, and I guess from going down to Hartford, I was kind of a breath of fresh air to get out of that environment. I was able to go down and play and, um, and just kind of enjoy the game again. And I was six games away from a thousand when I, when I got sent down. So that was another kind of kick in the pants that, uh, wasn't easy to swallow, but I got a chance to get back in the league and then finish out on a, you know, on a, a bit, little bit of my terms and, and uh, have a, you know, a little bit better of an ending than that. Well, I'm sure that you've listened to the Spit and Chicklets podcast, or I'm sure you're fans of those guys. You signing in St. Louis, knowing you were six games shy, would have drove Biz absolutely bananas. Knowing <laughs> you, <laughs> the guys there. in that Blues locker room, what do you? Was that one of the years he would have gone to training camp, or was that before he had been? What well, would he have been in St. Louis? Because he Biz? had gone to St. Louis. Him and Ryan Whitney both went to St. Louis on a tryout, but I think it might have been after. Oh, that, but... that would have been after me. He always no, gives the yeah, gears guys, to guys that yeah come back for their thousandth game on a new team, and then everybody's got to chip in to buy you a gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice watch they got me too, a Panera <laughs> watch that I don't know what it costs, but it's one of those nice ones. And so yeah, unfortunately, I guess you pay it forward. I know, <laughs> kind of. Hopefully, it evens out for everyone at the end of it. That uh, whatever. But yeah, I was appreciative. I had a good time in St. Louis and. Actually, the, so they bought me that watch, which was awesome. I got a painting that the team gave me, and uh, which is really special as well. And uh, then, but the watch, the, the wristband wasn't fitting properly, so I sent it back. And then I get it back, and I'm, we're on a road trip, so I put it on, and then I get a call from Doug Armstrong. The, yeah, Doug Armstrong. Anyways, traded first day I'm wearing that watch, I get traded to Boston. So <laughs> didn't even get to see the guys with it on, but uh, think of them whenever I wear it. That's for sure. Have a, have a question here from Aaron Bull, who's watching uh, live. He wants to know what's the most memorable goal from your career in junior. Um, you know what? It's probably I go back to those Prince Albert Raiders uh, playoff series, and it was my it would have been my second year with Brandon. Actually, Darren Ritchie was on the team. There's another guy that I didn't mention with as far as skill and stuff, who is obviously a big part of the team as, to this day. But uh, so game five at home, we're down 4-3 late in the game, and uh, we get a power play, and it was such an exciting series. And I'm coming down the slot. I think it's working around the – on the right side and then I come down I get a pass from Marty and I put it top shelf uh, to tie the game and I still remember I mean those crowds it was just an electric series and it was sellouts and I think TSN ended up picking up the last two games of that series so we tie, uh, that goal ties it up and then Darren Ritchie picks off a clearing attempt early in overtime and he scored the winner game five and um, we end up losing game six, but winning game seven at home. But that series was, uh, and that goal that I scored still stands out in my mind. Pretty, pretty special feeling. You gotta, you gotta think that, you know, um, 
the the fans in Brandon, and this is what gets me. So, of course, in my time in Brandon, there's there's been a couple of changes in, in the coaching staff and and the GM structure in the last handful of years since Kelly's uh, you know moved on to to Vegas. And mm-hmm. I remember the most recent time, uh, right before Dave Lowry was hired and and Darren Ritchie was moved into the GM position. Of course, the rumors are flying around. Brandon, who's it going to be? Who could we get? You know, Marty Murray's coached a pretty successful program in the North American League, and you know, Wade Redden's working in Nashville and player development and I remember getting stopped one time at the Pita Pit on 18th Street by a, uh, I won't point out his name, but he's a longtime season ticket holder since you played. And he said to me, you know what? It's going to be Wade Redden. He's going to be the new coach of the Brandon Wee Kings. Mark my words. <laughs> and I, all I could think of was, I said, you know what? I had talked to Wade just before the draft in Chicago for a little piece on Nolan Patrick. And I think he's living in Kelowna. He's got a couple of kids. I said, if he were to pitch that at a family meeting, Kids, family, we're packing up and we're moving to Brandon, Manitoba for the winners. <laughs> that would pro- he'd probably be on his own moving to Brandon. That's all I could think about. He'd yeah. be in the car by himself because they wouldn't be coming with. And I, so I let him have it. I said, "Yep, yeah, sure, yeah. If it's Wade Redden, that's it's a logical option." But that leads me to my question. You know, at, at any point, did you ever think of you know getting your your hat into the the coaching game? Or I know you did a little bit a couple of years ago. You said with Nashville on the development side, but was coaching ever a realistic thought for you? Uh. I guess at one time, maybe it was, I think after, you know, kind of the tail end of my career and kind of bouncing around there a bit and then uh, having a few young kids and now having a third too, it's, I, I hats off to, and it, the passion that the coaches and, you know, those people have for the game and not to say that I don't have it. I certainly did have it. And when I played, I think my focus now is, is more, you know, kind of away from hockey and, uh, you know, being with the family in those, these young years, but, uh, I do miss it. Definitely. I mean, and to be around it with Nashville is kind of a, you know, as a call call not full time or anything, but to be around it and work with the young guys, kind of junior college guys that, you know, those are a lot of fun. You have a lot of fun working with the kids that age. And, um, so I wouldn't rule it out down the road. I mean, I still think about it. Like, um, you know, I'm, I keep busy enough, I guess these days, but that, that definitely a big piece of me and, uh, hockey, uh, I'd never rule out getting back into it. And it's not a, always easy to get back into it too. It's, um, you know, there's only a limited amount of jobs and what do you want to do? How much time do you want to put in? So, uh, if you're going to coach, you got to be committed. And those guys are. Well, I have a sneaking suspicion that the guy that pitched that might be listening to this podcast. So you just left the door open that next time there's a coaching opportunity, he's going to make the same <laughs> prediction. So well, don't want to close any doors, that's for sure. You're giving him something to talk about. Uh, hey, Chris, you want to do a little uh, rapid fire with Wade as we wrap things up here? Yeah, good to go. All right, Wade. So first of all, what is your least favorite WHL rank to play in? Oh, God. Least favorite. Well, the old, I'll call it the old one in Moose Jaw, the tin can. Good one. That's just, that's, uh, the new one is quite cavernous, but uh, I don't think it has the same feel as the old one did. Oh, it must uh, be totally opposite. Aside from the Keystone, what was your favorite place to play? I always liked the Saskatoon kind of had an NHL feel. That rink was, uh, and it was the closest probably city to my hometown, so I always knew that you know, friends and family would be there, but uh, uh, Saskatoon always liked going in there. Toughest player you played against? 
We'll say junior and pro. I'd like to know the answer to both. Pro. Toughest as in, well. Just a guy that you're like scared of or just the guy you're like, <laughs> like, 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 like I, know, I, I want no part of that guy. Yeah, well. Who are some names that right away come to mind? Oh, God. Who comes to mind? This is rapid fire, isn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> Who did, uh, well, there was, uh, I know in Moose, I'm going back to Moose Jaw, I guess, that Toporowski, was it, or was he in, one of the Toporowskis was a Moose Jaw, and he, he was big, tough, tough guy. And Trombley, they had there too. He was a bit of a, didn't want to look sideways at him at, on some nights. He was always well known for his, his fighting as well. There you go. Uh, what was your uh, quarantine binge on the TV, whether it be with your wife or with your kids? Uh, what was the show that you guys maybe don't want to admit you, you watched every episode of? Well, we went through the Tiger King. We were part <laughs> of that whole ordeal. So <laughs> it seems like ages ago when you think about it. But, yeah, we were kind of fascinated by, by that. That was peak quarantine. That's when quarantine wasn't as serious and everybody was just having fun working from home and not putting on dress clothes and going to the office. <laughs> now it's that was early. Gotten, that was right early, yeah. <laughs> now it's just gotten... It uh, seems like it was a year ago, honestly. I mean, I didn't even watch it, but it seems like it was a year ago. Uh, yeah. w- when you think of, of Kelly McCrimmon, uh, you know, what, what kind of words come to mind with, uh, with his uh, relationship with you? Um, well, mentor, uh, good friend... I always had a tight connection with him. I guess just, I always look back. He, he's a small town SAS guy too. He had a brother, an older brother like I did. And um, yeah, no, I just, even in, yeah, my career in Brandon and just the respect that I have for him and how he helped me, I guess, was, uh, you know, he, not to say he was always handled me with uh, white gloves on because he was tough on all of us, but uh, had a lot of respect for him and how he approached the game, how he treated us, and um, yeah, and it's awesome to see him having you know moving on and doing as well as he is. Favorite jersey that you've put on, maybe besides Team Canada, just for the specialty of that, but well, just in terms of like the logo. Well, the black and gold. I, there it <laughs> is, right there. Oh, look at that wall. <laughs> That's, oh, awesome. that's awesome. On the top row with Canada. Yeah, love that. Yeah, I, know the, I also love that Sens uh, design and the fact that they're bringing back the 2D Sens, slightly what? tweaked, but almost the exact same. I know, yeah. That I is like a good it. one. Yeah. Is it, is it, I mean, this is maybe a little less rapid fire, but is it, is it frustrating to, to see kind of the, the animosity between the ownership and the fan base with the arena and with the, some of the moves they've made over the last couple of years as an alumni. To, is it tough to just sit back and not, you know, chime in and, and give comments in the media or, you know, what's well, your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't, yeah, no, I certainly follow it and it is what's going on there is yeah. Tough to watch for sure. And you know, the ownership is the ownership and, you know, the way they're operating they're you know, they're kind of painting a, a picture that the future is there and they got a lot of young guys, a lot of young prospects. And that's the truth. They, they are positioned quite well moving forward. And, but how's it going to roll out? Like the track record hasn't been great for, you know, cause they, what were they, they've had some success. They went to the, almost made it to the finals there 
I yeah, against five Pittsburgh, years yeah. ago, but um, yeah, no, it's tough to watch. And just talking with the people there, there's a lot of the same people that are working there that I were around when I was and Sean Donovan's a big part of the organization and they all work so hard and, um, but just, yeah, the, there's a disconnect there for sure that it seems like the fans are fed up with it. And so hopefully they can turn the corner and, and turn it around. I got a I got a question sent in to me from Chris. He said, "We all know that Ottawa and Toronto had big rivalries. Was there ever anything uh, from a fan perspective said to you while sitting in the penalty box at the Air Canada Center? Any funny chirps from from Toronto fans uh, while you were sitting in the box or on the on the bench?" Uh, yeah, I can't think now. You even had to walk through so that the way that's set up in that rink, the suite level is right down below. And so the fans, when you're walking back to the dressing room, you're kind of walking in the hallways that the fans go through. So they kind of, they cordon them off with a rope and they have some security, but people are always in there chirping and, <laughs> and yelling at you and stuff. And I never engaged in any of that stuff, but some guys did. And yeah, I can't remember any particulars to be honest, but I usually didn't. Uh, Probably wouldn't be appropriate for a family show no, anyway. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> Any more, Chris? That was all I had for Rapid Fire. I mean, just wait, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, we've taken an hour now, and that's more than what we've already that's told you that we would. But, yeah, it's but, a pleasure but really appreciate you guys. it. Yeah. Any plans uh, when the season gets back going uh, to, to make a trip to Brandon anytime soon, or is there any you know connections that you'd like to, to hit up uh, in a trip to Brandon in the near future? Well, I, I yeah, I would love to get back there. I don't have any plans to do that. I know, Travel's uh, a little uh, limited right now anyway. But. Well, travel, yeah, I don't know what... Whenever the Western League gets going again, whenever you guys roll through this town, I'll make sure to get down and pop in in Kelowna. Uh, I know it's once every two years, but you know, I like getting back to Brandon. I mentioned yeah, some friends that I had that I worked at there for high school. My billets, I you know, kind of every year or two try to check in and see what they're up to, but... Uh, um, and actually, so when since Kelly's kind of moved away, that was my probably tightest, tightest connection was was kind of keeping in touch with him. And whenever I kind of was in a town, would kind of you know connect with him. And I was back a few times over the years. But it's twenty five years since we won. I don't know. Maybe they'll bring all this, bring the band back together that won the Western <laughs> League in ninety six. I like that idea. I like that idea. Well, yeah, they better uh, they better uh, lock the doors at the tavern and the bar attached to the rink if you guys are coming in. It'd be is, is the unwinder still open? No, <laughs> but you're not the first time. That's that's not the first time it's been mentioned on this podcast. Uh, yeah. Ray Ferraro and uh, Darren Dreger mentioned oh. it as well. Uh, that that oh, was geez, a, a that watering was hole. My time, yeah. <laughs> that was a couple years before you, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so this was awesome, Wade, and and I hope. Uh, I mean, you've been super generous to me. My first year with the team, uh, you took a few minutes uh, before the draft to talk about Nolan Patrick, and then of course this. So. Uh, and of course, back when I was nine years old, uh, you, you didn't shove me off the tee box to, to drive one oh, down the awesome. fairway. So uh, I certainly appreciate it. And I know we King fans were looking forward to this. Uh, we got a lot of people said right from the start, you got to get weighed on. So uh, we're glad we could make it work. And uh, we wish you the, the best in, in health and safety uh, out in BC for the next couple of months until things kind of go back to normal. Well, it's a pleasure, Brandon. Uh, Brendan, and I know that... Uh well, I'll say this, we Kings forever. That's what we're, I remember beating Spokane and we're 
booked to, to stay if we needed to for a possible game six, but we beat Spokane. And then I remember the guys checking our bags out and getting it ready to leave to drive back to Brandon with the Ed Chanel's cup and guys are yelling out the windows, Wheat Kings forever. <laughs> <laughs> so I still, yeah, I'm very proud of my days there and always want to stay connected in somewhere for him. So you guys are allowing me to do that. So thank you. Oh, we really appreciate it. That's episode 28, Weekly Harvest Podcast. Reminder, you can catch all the previous episodes online, qcountryfm.ca. Uh, Q Country, of course, always broadcasting 91.5, live streaming on Alexa or Google Play. Or if you're like me and you even like getting news updates, you can do the Westman News Update. They send that out each and every weekday after 1 o'clock as well. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode 29. Until then, have yourself a great week. Appreciate you listening. Be sure to follow Q Country and the Wheat Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wheat Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.